Someone came up to me at the breakfast table and said, you know, God knew uh, this yesterday. And I said, oh, no, he didn't. He knew it before I was born. He knew it before I was born. And I just feel like that's not just a message for me. This is a message for you. That he knows. He knows. Whatever's come upon you. Whatever's come down the road and quite surprised you. uh, He knew. He knew before you were born. And Hannah's story is an important story to us this morning. I feel like there's so many places that we could stop and pause. And I'm just going to read kind of the heart of it in verse 20 of chapter 1, right out of the chute. It says, And so it came to pass in the process of time. Oh, child of God, that is not a phrase that we love in the process of time. It it, it usually means a long time. In the process of time that Hannah did conceive and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Dropping down to verse 27, for this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition. Again, the phrase which I have asked of him. Therefore. Therefore. And that's an important word. And may it be an important word in our lives. May there be many therefores. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worshiped the Lord there. Lord, we just thank you, God. You see us today. You see us yesterday. You'll see us tomorrow, God. And your eyes, the eyes of the Lord move out throughout the whole earth. And God, your word says you're sinking to strongly support those whose hearts are fully yours. And so, God, as we step into this story, Lord, may you pull us in. And may it not be just about her, but about us and our story. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen. So, I'm going to start a little bit at the top. I just feel like there's so many things that are said so clearly that we have to read them. Um, We're introduced to Elkanah, and he had two wives in verse 2. The name of one was Hannah, and the other one, Peniah. And Peniah had children, and Hannah didn't. There's a tragic contrast here. This man went up from his city yearly to worship. I don't really like that he had two wives, but I do like some of the things that we see in his story. He went up yearly to worship, not not just to sacrifice or to do a religious thing, but really to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of, of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkinah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peniah his wife, and to all her sons, all her sons, and to all her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, 
for he loved her. He loved her, although the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when they went up to the house of the Lord that she, she, Peniah, provoked her. Over six, and her rival provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. We must know that this phrase is in the word of God, and therefore it means that God was in this. God was in this. And I don't know about you, but some of you have wondered when you've seen some hard thing. Did God forget me? Did he overlook this? Was he off duty when this happened? But I can look back in my life. So many moments that were so painful. That brought me to my knees and to my tears. I can look back and I say, God, you were there. And God, even in that hard thing, you were in it. You closed that door. It was your hand. And therefore, entirely through the process, I was safe. I was entirely safe. So it was year by year that they went up to the house of the Lord. And this woman provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. And her husband said to her, Hannah, Hannah, why do you weep? Aren't I better than ten sons? And I know what she would have said. Know what she would have said. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking. They finished eating and drinking. But as we read this story, she didn't. She was just too deep into it at that moment to eat and drink. So Hannah arose in Shiloh. And Eli the priest was sitting by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. But she didn't go to Eli. No, she went straight to the only place that we can go when we're in such tragic sorrow. And she was in bitterness of soul and she cried her eyes out. Literally cried her eyes out at the presence of the Lord. Don't we know? That sometimes nobody, husbands can't help, friends can't help, even a man of God can't help. It's God himself, and that's where she went. And in that place, she made a vow. We must know that that was not the first time she prayed. She probably prayed a thousand times, don't you know? A thousand times. But this time was her breaking point, and this time was her breakthrough. In that crying her eyes out, nose running, literally a mess before the Lord, then, it says, she made a vow, and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, And not forget me, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. He'll have no razor on his head. And as it happened that Eli was watching. And as we know, he thought she was drunk. 
crying her eyes out. He thought she was drunk. And maybe he had seen plenty of drunk women crying their eyes out. And sometimes I, I believe that the sorrows of this life is what drives a woman to drink. To her breaking point. But it appears that he had no pity on them and he had no pity on Hannah. But Anna answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Don't consider me a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I've spoken until now. And Aunt Eli answered, and I believe this was a prophecy. Go in peace and the God of Israel. Grant your petition, which you have asked of him. It was a prophecy, but I'm not positive he knew it. I'm not positive. It could have been that he just said, I can't fix you. I can't fix you. I don't know how to fix you. If you're going to get fixed, may God be the one that does it. Rightly said, and well he did. Let your maid servant, she said, find favor in your sight. So she went her way, and she was over it. Her tears dried up, and she was no longer sad. Good for her. And then they arose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord and returned to their home. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came to pass in the process of time that she had a child. So as we read her story, we're just drawn in. We're drawn into her story. Somehow, I hope you felt that there were messages straight to you, not just to Hannah in this. We're drawn in. We, we, we don't know what she looked like. It doesn't say that she was beautiful like other of the women in the Bible that are famous. We don't even know that she was young by this time or that she ever looked important to anybody who saw her. But we do know three things that she lived, four things. She lived in Ramah. She was married. She had a, an opponent who had a voice as some of us have. And Hannah was childless. So looking at Ramah, where was that? Ramah was five miles north of Jerusalem and 15 miles south of Shiloh. Ramah is an interesting place because although she gave up her child when he was just a little one, Samuel would later make Ramah the place where he judged. He became the one of the la- he came th- became the last judge of the nation of Israel, and that was the place he judged, and that was where he was buried. He was born there, and he was buried there. Isn't that interesting? He was given to God, but he was still close to home. And Hannah would have watched his ministry. With a thrill on her heart. A while back a friend of mine. Who grew up in a really horrible situation. Her mom was. Um, 
I don't know how to say it. She was never home. She was a single mom and she was never home. She was never there for her kids. My friend was the oldest, the oldest of three children and therefore had all the responsibility. And and my friend grew up in horrible circumstances. And when she was 15, her mother got pregnant again, went to the hospital. And in those days, um, and she was, she was going to adopt it. In those days, you could not have the people come into the hospital in that state. You had to bring the Bible, the baby to the curb and then they would come and take the baby away. Well, the mother didn't want to do that. So she said, you take that baby to the curb. And my friend at 15 took that little baby to the curb and watched somebody take that baby out of her arms. Now, that's just more than I can even bear standing telling you. And her eyes were crying when she told me this story. And she said she cried her eyes out over that. Well, she's in her late 40s now. A few years ago, she decided to track that little girl down. And you know what? That little girl grew up within 15 minutes of their house. And she's part of the family now. Oh, don't you think. Don't you think. Don't you think. When you give up something. That God isn't quite able to bring it around. Ramah was an important town. Important events happened. It was north of Jerusalem. And, and Jerusalem was nothing at that time. I'll, I'll tell you, there was no temple there. In fact, she would never live to see the temple. In fact, Samuel, Samuel would never live to see the temple. Jerusalem was in enemy territory until the days of, da- of David. But north of Ramah was a place called Shiloh. Shiloh means hill. Another translation would be lofty place. That's exactly what Shiloh means. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that's where the people of God that did worship would go there. Truly, as we meet Hannah, she needs a Shiloh. She needs a high place for her low place. And as we meet her, she is low as anybody can get. Her husband couldn't cheer her up. She couldn't cheer herself up, herself up. And here are the words that tell us her tragic story. They're descriptive words. She was provoked severely by someone in her home, not down the street, but in her home. I'm telling you, I know women that are provoked from somebody in their head. Saying hurtful things and hard things in their head. Right in the inside. She was a miserable. Her heart was grieved. Bitterness was in her soul. Weeping and anguish was her story. Proverbs thirteen twelve tells us. A hope deferred makes the heart sick. A hope deferred is a hope delayed. Not just for a short time, but for a painfully long time. A hope deferred makes the heart sick. The Hebrew word is hala, 
and it means weak and wounded. And we know exactly what that feels, don't we? I think everyone in this room knows what that feels like. Maybe there's a weak and wounded place in your heart right now. There is in mine. Indeed, indeed. There's a hope that you've wondered how long, how long, how long will my circumstances change until they change or that person change? Will you fill that void in my life? How long will it be? Sometimes we can see a bitterness set in then. A bitterness. That's a descriptive word. Not just against your circumstances or people. Sometimes we can turn that against God. That he's forgotten us. Don't you see all the time in her story, God did care. He did care. But sometimes we see the blessings of others and it makes us feel deeper. In despair. I want to tell you that there is much pain in this world in women's hearts. There is. There is today. I I started on Tuesday morning. I started teaching in the jail. I'm going to teach a seven-week series on prayer. And I have waited. I've been praying about going and doing jail ministry for probably 20 years. And then this particular series, I've been waiting almost a year for the doors to open. And finally, on Tuesday, the door opened. And I felt like when I woke up that morning at 5 o'clock, it was like Christmas morning. I could not wait to get there. I could not. Because I had waited so long, I could not wait to get there. I was so glad there were a captive audience. And they were going to show up. (laughs) And this is the deal. When God put that, that, that study on my heart to teach them, I knew I could not change their circumstances. And I'm telling you, they gave me prayer requests, and each one of them have horrible circumstances. And they are waiting on God to change and open doors, literally. But God put on my heart, no matter what's going on outside and what doors are locked, in what prison they are in, if I can teach them to pray to their father in heaven, they'll be as free as a bird. They'll be as free as a bird. And I'll tell you, I've been waiting one year to tell them that. I was so excited. I couldn't stand it. This is what God wants us to know about this story. God allows no pain without purpose. Say that with me. God allows no pain without purpose. No pain. Because pain presses us into his promises. Why? Because truthfully, in those hard, hard times, we have no place else to go but his promises. Pain presses us. And it can press us and must press us into his presence. I, I, again, I hope you take Hannah's story very personally. God used her pain. This is, this is what we need to hear. God used her pain to birth Samuel, an ordinary baby born into a complicated world. 
which it was then. But he was given to God. And from that time on, from the first time he heard his mother's voice, he knew it. He knew it because she must have told him. And she was nursing him at one day old. And at one month old. And at one year old before she weaned him. You are given to God. You are given to God. You are God's. God's going to use you. God's going to use you. Hannah waited for a long time. And again, some of you are waiting. Painfully so. I have something in my life I've waited. Waited. For over 12 years. Painfully. But God sent a promise through Isaiah the prophet. In fact, many promises in Isaiah that I believe that we need to review and to hear this morning. Please write this address down. Isaiah 40, 31. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but... But they that wait upon the Lord will, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like the eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is a promise Straight from God. And all of his promises are yes and amen. And so our response to that, God, help me. Teach me to wait on you. Teach me to wait with hope and confidence in you. Isaiah forty-eight seventeen. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. I love it when he calls himself your redeemer. He's not just the redeemer. He is your redeemer. The redeemer of your story. The redeemer of when you failed. You know, we don't see the dark side of Hannah, but she must have had some times where she wanted to say something nasty back. I don't know if she did, but God forgive her if she did. I'd venture to say that she felt like it even if she didn't do it. He's our redeemer. Even when we failed in our waiting process, he's good to us. He wants to give us a fresh start, always a fresh start. Thus says the Lord, your God, God, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He says, I'm the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Like, trust me with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Then he says, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Isaiah 49, verse 13. Sing, O heavens. Be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have mercy on his afflicted. 
But Zion said, the Lord's forgotten me. And my God has forgotten me. The Lord's answer to that is as precious as it could be in verse 15. God says, uh, can a woman forget her nursing child? Well, maybe. Sometimes. He doesn't say that, but I do. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget. Yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands and your walls are continually before me. Is that a powerful word from God this morning? Our memory verse speaks that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He is near to us. And sometimes, sometimes we feel him near, near, near. When we are the most brokenhearted. And it makes those times the most precious in all of life. I hope you know that. Whatever you're going through, God wants to remind you that he not only sees your pain, but he feels it. He is the Savior who feels our pain. In Isaiah 53, 3, it says, He, He, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Acquainted with grief. Let's return now to 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 10. Turning back here. 9, 10, and 11. Again to that moment where she arose. She was fasting. She wouldn't eat a thing. And she was in bitterness of soul and wept before the Lord. And made this vow. That is the life-changing moment. That's the, the whole flashing light in her story. It was in the presence of God that God himself changed everything. He changed everything. Listen carefully to Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then... That you have, you do have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. He passed straight through the heavens from the throne of God down to earth and passed on back. Jesus, the son of God. So let us hold fast our profession. Our profession of faith in him. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted, just as we were. Do you think that he wasn't heartbroken so many times? Do you think that he didn't get weary of, of waiting, waiting and waiting? Yet without sin, as he was tempted in these heartbreaking places he went through. So, It says, therefore, therefore, because of this, 
Let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because he knows, because he doesn't just see our pain, but he feels our pain. Don't be afraid to come all the way in. All the way in, right to his presence, the throne of grace, looking for the help that you need. In his presence, God doesn't just want to change our circumstances again. He wants to change us. Colossians 1, Colossians, I'm sorry, Colossians 3 says, And this is a life-changing verse to me. Colossians 3 says, F then you be raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. And not on the things that are on this earth. Why is that a life-changing verse to me? There was a time when my daughter was a teenager. And as we sometimes are concerned, worried about what's going on and what will happen with the teenager and what choices they'll make and the friends that they'll have. And I was, I'd never been the mom of a teenager. And I, I spent a lot of time at my knees, on my knees, at a certain chair that I would just put my face and weep in just just because I felt so inadequate. And there was mascara stains all over that chair. I had to give it away, throw it away, actually, when I was done with that series. And I was crying, God, wisdom, you, you, you know I do not have wisdom for this task. And I went to a retreat And Kay Smith was teaching, and she said, open your Bibles to Colossians 3 and read until God speaks to you. And I I, I needed God to speak to me, so I got out of my seat and got on my knees, as did most of the room. And I I was reading down through, and when I got to that place, set your mind on things above, not of the things of this earth. I felt like God spoke to me and said, your daughter is eternal. Her soul is eternal. I was working part-time, left my job. And I felt like the Lord said, I want you to quit your job. And I I looked down at the the words again. I don't see that. Quit my job. What? But he gave me the translation. Translation. Into my own personal circumstances, I needed to quit my job and invest all that I had and all that I could be toward navigating that storm of teenage years. I did. I think I've told you this story before. I did. I quit my job as soon as I got home. Um, my, My boss cried. I cried. Driving home. We were very poor at that time. Driving home in my old ugly car. I looked to the left, and there was a garage sale. And um, I thought, well, I can still afford garage sales. <laughs> and actually, on the way home, I had said, well, I did it, God. I did. I, would, I obeyed you. But you know what this means. I'll never have a new dress again. You know, we, we always boil things down to a life-threatening circumstance that might happen. <laughs> 
I'll never have a new dress again. So pulled over at this garage sale and I can still afford garage sales. So I walked up there and there's, um, these two, two very tall women, they had to be six, two, both of them. And that was their garage sale. And I went up to the clothes table. Like, what was I thinking? Looking at clothes at their garage sale. But there was this cutest dress in, in a color that was my favorite color. It was like this color. And I picked it up and I kid you not, it was my size, my favorite color. And it still had the tags. It was brand new. And their price tag for that dress was a quarter. And of course I bought it. And I wore it probably uh, 50 times. But on the way home, I felt like God just parted the clouds and said, you know what? If you trust me and you need a new dress, I can give you anything for a quarter. Is God good? Is God good? And God wants to give this message to you. Everything changed in Hannah's perspective. It stopped being her child. It stopped being her child. It stopped being her will. She made that divine shift from his will. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Revival was urgent was urgent. Their country was a mess. Their world was a mess, just like ours. The people of God had turned their backs on God. So how would he send revival to their world? Would it be thunder and lightning and fires and bullets? Maybe he knew that doesn't work in our world. And his answer to revival to their world was a baby, a surrendered baby, an obedient mother, and a surrendered baby. And don't you ever think, because you think that your world is small and the circumstances and the opportunities that you have is small, don't underestimate what God can do in little things. God loves to change the world with babies. And who wants to say, amen. Amen. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for Hannah's story. Lord, I thank you for our story. I thank you for each woman in this room, for their story. And I just feel like he wants us to be silent for just a moment. Just a moment. He wants to show each of us that as ordinary as we seem, that the change in the equation is an extraordinary God who we trust with all of our heart. Lord, break us from hanging on too tight. Help us to just pour out all that we hold on to, all that we fear, all that we've been bitter about, all of our dreams even, and put them safely in your hands. Thank you. Thank you. For it's in Jesus' name. And they all said,
Amen. Yeah.